Uh, today is a big day. I want to welcome all of you. If you are visiting and if you are looking for a new church, I want you to know I would love for you, we would love for you to become a part of Wheaton Bible Church. We've got a great thing going on here, uh, and we would love for you to join us. I will be down in front, right down here, following this uh, service, and if you are new, I'd love to meet you, met somebody after uh, the last service, or you can go to the Welcome Center out in the atrium, the Visitor's Center, and you will be welcome there and have an opportunity to meet people and get some of your questions answered. Now, as Ted said, today is a big day at Wheaton Bible Church. It's a big day because of Tri-Village, it's a big day because we're rolling out this new series, and because of all the changes that we are beginning today. So as you came in, I hope you saw some of the, the, the banners on the light posts uh, with our uh, mission, uh, some of the signage around the church. Maybe you didn't notice it, but there's been all sorts of signage we have put up um, in order to help visitors and new people kind of figure out where they're going uh, around here. Then we've made some significant changes, by the way, to our student ministry, this important student ministry space we have, because we love students. And then if you saw, if you walked in the main doors into the atrium, you saw the significant changes in the atrium. If you did not, then after this service, head toward those main doors and then look back. Now all of this is because we are changing as a church. And today, we begin that journey. So over the next seven weeks, in all our congregations and all our campuses, we are beginning this series where we will explain our mission and our values. Now we are not changing our doctrine, but we are tweaking this mission of ours and we are introducing these new values that you have actually in your worship folder and I'll call your attention to in just a couple of minutes. Now, why are we doing this? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but part of the reasons I believe we as leaders believe that here in the United States, we are heading into a period where following Christ uh, churches standing up for Christ is going to be harder, more difficult than ever before. And so what we want to do is lay a foundation because we believe it's critical that we know what we're trying to accomplish as a church, that would be our mission, and who we as followers of Jesus Christ that make up this church must be in order to get there, that's our values. Now let me put it this way. Years ago, a long time ago, I used to race sailboats. And um, I was never very good at it. Uh, sailboats, frankly, don't go fast enough for me, so I'd always get distracted and miss, you know, miss something. But along the way, because I did it a fair amount, I, I realized uh, that the key to sailboat racing is um, crossing the starting line upwind from all the other boats so they don't see, steal your wind just at the precise moment the gun goes off to launch the race. So if, if you're really good at this or you aspire to be good, what you're doing is you're watching the wind all the time because the wind changes on lakes. 
and you're watching the clock so you can approach the starting line at the right time and you're cognizant of the speed of your boat. All that was a little more over my head. But, but the key, the, the point in all this is you're putting your boat in the right position to maximize the wind. Now this past summer, what I want you to know is that the leaders of this church have been working really hard to lay this platform of mission and values in order that we can put Wheaton Bible Church in the right position, in the right place. We can be the right people embracing the right values so that the Holy Spirit can take over. The wind of the Spirit can fill our sails. And as Ted was talking about, we would be renewed. We are praying that today begins a period of renewal of Wheaton Bible Church because we are changing. And those of you that are a little older may be thinking, well, well you know, I really like things the way they are. But I want to uh, tell you, our culture is changing fast. And in many ways, this is about the next generations that are coming behind us. We have to be in the right position so that the Holy Spirit could do through us what we could never do on our own. So what I want to do is I want to begin with our mission and then I'm going to go to this first value, this first of 12 uh, values. Now in your worship folder, take out your worship folder, there's two inserts. I want you to grab both of them. The first is a one-page insert that is about this morning. Uh, some blanks uh, under our mission, which I'll be talking about, and then on the other side, this first value, uh, this most important value. Then also in your worship folder is an eight-page abbreviated form, that, uh, abbreviated brochure, I should say, that has all 12 of our values. I want you to see that, be aware of that, and I want you to know there is a much more thorough treatment of that uh, that I've written that you can access online. It says that in the eight-page uh, abbreviated version, or you can pick up at the information desk as you leave. Now, the reason I mentioned the more thorough is because we, your leaders, happen to believe this is a big deal, and we want you to have both. We want you to have the abbreviated form and the more thorough form, and grab it on your way out. So let's look at our mission. Here's our mission. Our mission is that more and more people would love God, grow together, and reach the world. Now there's two pieces to this. There's the what and the who. The what has been constant for the last nine to ten years. The what is love God, grow together, and reach the world. The who, more and more people we're adding today. And what I want to do is I want to start with the what. This love God, grow together, and reach the world. And I want you to understand that is a simple description of what a healthy follower of Christ looks like. It's also a description of what a healthy church of Jesus Christ looks like. It really get at, gets at what does it mean to be a disciple. Uh, what does it mean for you, for me to be a disciple? It means we give ourselves, we're flat all out about loving God, growing together, experiencing community, and reaching the world. And those are our three pillars of our lives. Another way to say this is our mission is one rope with three strands that are inseparable. So, for example, you can't love God without the experience of meaningful community. 
You don't love God, uh, really, unless you're giving yourself to reaching the world in a variety of different ways. And you can't grow together unless you're all in with Jesus. And individually in your groups, you're focused on people that don't know Christ. And finally, you cannot sustain reaching the world. You will not sustain reaching the world over the course of a lifetime or over generations unless out of your heart you love God and you're experiencing meaningful, what we call thick community. So one rope, but three strands, and the strands are inseparable. Now there's no way for me to sugarcoat this, so I'm gonna say this on the front end. It will not be through our success that we change as a church or that we impact the world. It will be through our sacrifice. God calls us first to the altar, and then he gives us a platform. And you can't reverse that in the kingdom of God. Altar, then platform. Altar, then platform. Loving God, growing together, and reaching the world, our mission requires an incredible sacrifice. As a matter of fact, when our Lord Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Jesus is saying, he's talking about the inherent sacrifice in loving God, going together and reaching the world. You see, without this sacrificial commitment, that's why I'm talking about it at this Point, we will not have any success. We will not have any success in what, Rob? In offering a compelling alternative to the mudslide of secularism and individual autonomy that is killing our culture. And so what we're about in the tweaking our mission, introducing these values, is we want to provide a compelling alternative. Because our culture is changing underneath us. And to get there, to love God, grow together, and reach the world, it will require sacrifice. I'm too busy. It will require sacrifice. I've got this, I've got that. It will require sacrifice. So let's begin with loving God. Uh, grab your Bibles. I'm gonna, we've got it up on uh, the screen. Turn to Matthew chapter 22. And verse 36, uh, Jesus is going back and forth with the religious leaders. It's not going well from their perspective. And Jesus in verse 36 is asked this question, okay, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, the all, 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 heart, soul, and mind is Jesus' way of saying, love God with everything in you, with every part of your being. Be all in. Love him with all that you are. It means you don't see Jesus as useful, you see Jesus as beautiful. Religious people see Jesus as useful. Little Jesus here, little Jesus there. 
True Christians see Jesus as beautiful. Why? Because you understand that Jesus isn't the means to a good life. He is the good life. He's beautiful. Now, loving God isn't some vague, abstract concept. It involves specific action, a life of action. Just like a wife wants her husband's love to involve all sorts of actions of love, daily actions of love. So on the one hand, loving God means you, you rest in God's sovereignty. You submit to his authority. You delight in his presence. It means you experience his love. You feel his love through your days. Not necessarily every day, but there's a sense of, of God's presence and and God's tenderness that is a palpable, tangible experience in your life. And you relish in those moments. It means you worship God when you're alone and, and you're committed to coming together as we are now to worship God corporately. You don't just sing songs, you worship. And loving God means you're not one person at work, another person on Friday, Saturday night, and then another person still at church. Because you understand that Jesus isn't just a drawer you pull out for one hour a week. He's the whole dresser. He's the whole... taco, tamale, everything. He is the Lord of the universe. And we live out his lordship when we rest in his sovereignty, we submit to his authority, and we delight in his presence. Now, now that's one part of the equation. But on the other hand, now here we come to the specific and uh, uh, kind of the action steps. Here's what I long for this to mean for us as a church going forward. I'm introducing this today. We'll talk a lot more about it going forward. My dream is that each and every one of you would spend at least 15 minutes a day at least 15 minutes a day reading the Bible and praying every day. 15 minutes a day every day. And that when you pray, you would bring your request to God, but you would also listen to God and you would let the love of God in Jesus Christ wash over you. And you would ask God to help you understand what it means for you in specific ways to express your love to him. And you would delight in this time. I mean, can you imagine if the six, 7,000 of us each spent at least 15 minutes a day? And then suddenly 15 minutes isn't enough because God is speaking to you about this. God is revealing this uh, to you uh, uh, about him. 15 minutes a day, every day. When I came to Christ, as I've said before, I was in college. I was living in a fraternity. I was one of the leaders in the fraternity, and I was as lost as the day is long. And in about two weeks after I came to Christ, I lost every single friend of mine in the fraternity. Every single one. 
And yet God did something incredible in my life. And God, as I look back, used me in incredible ways. Why? Well, there's a number of reasons for that. But, but one is from the, the moment I became a Christian, I, I made a commitment to read the Bible and to pray daily. And over the decades, that has been the main thing God has used to change my divided heart to a focused heart. Where I love him with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. And I'm still on that journey. Let's go on. Let's talk. That's loving God. Let's talk about growing together. Growing together is the second strand in this rope. It means that we understand that no Christian is an island. No Christian is a lone ranger. That all of us practice the one another commands in the New Testament. Like 1 John 4, 7. Uh, friends, let us love one another. Uh, another one another that we... Uh, gather together with one another we encourage one another we accept one another we pray for one another we confess our sins to one another and we bear with one another some of us require more bearing than others we bear with one another now here's the specific i'm going to give you a specific with each of these three strands what I desire for us, what I long for for us, I think a key step to renewal is that we would not merely attend church, but each and every one of us would be in a group. Everyone in a group. A, a, a small group. A support group. Uh, men's, women's. Adult community, mid-sized group, a service group, a, a, a ministry group connected with the church. That we wouldn't just attend church, we would be in a group, everyone in a group. And while we're in those groups, man, we're not just chit-chatting, it's not just superficial. We don't have time for that, we need to be done with that. We're openly and honestly processing our life together, our hopes, our hurts, our failures, our fears. And we're holding one another accountable. Accountable for what? How we're doing, loving God, growing together, and reaching the world. And we're praying for one another. We're studying the word together. Did you see this? God has really used this verse in my life. And we do life together. This month, it's hard for me to believe, but I'm starting my 23rd year here at Wheaton Bible Church. And over the years, I've been through some very deep waters personally. And as I look back, as I reflect on this, I realize that one of the things that enabled me to survive, not just survive, but thrive, was the community I experienced here especially the, the, the circle of men, deep, deep friends who came alongside me and held my hands up uh, during uh, the darkest moment of my life. And God used community to change me. God used community 
uh, to unite my divided heart. Let me go on to the third strand. The third strand is reaching the world. It comes from the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Let's look at verse 18 and 19, just the first part of verse 19. So Matthew 28 and 18, then Jesus came to them and said, now look at this statement. This is either absurd and crazy or should make us fall on our face and worship. Jesus said, all authority, all authority where? Well, in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now, that statement is either true or false. Therefore, in light of the authority I have throughout the universe, you, as my followers, go and make disciples of all nations. Here's your marching orders. Now, I can talk about this individually. I can talk about this in groups. Let me talk about this in terms of the church. Others have said this. I've said this before. Healthy churches are not cruise ships that offer people offer Christians Christian luxury and comfort. We're not cruise ships. But neither are we battleships where church members pay pastors to fire away at the world while they stand by and watch. Instead, the compelling metaphor is that healthy churches are aircraft carriers that launch their members as fighter jets into the world to take the battle into the world, wherever they are, whatever they are doing. You take the battle away from the ship. Now, not dropping bombs of destroy, but dropping bombs of love, where we seek the good of all people, especially the, uh, the most um, under-resourced and vulnerable hurting a- a- around us. And we lift up Christ. We point people to Christ that we might make disciples. That's this great commission. Now, what does this mean for us as a church? What does it mean for us uh, going forward? Well, it, it means incredible things. And here, building upon our historic strengths, but expanding those strengths, it means that We are going to focus not merely on gathering, but scattering, each and every one of us scattering to wherever God has appointed us. And every place you go is a divine appointment. So we're going to focus on gathering to scatter. We huddle here, it's football season, so that you can run the play out there. This is the huddle. We will focus on sending, not coming. On sending capacity, not merely seeding capacity. And we will focus not merely on the incredible work of missionaries. And I love missionaries. My oldest daughter is a missionary. But on all of you, uh, where you work, in in your homes, in your apartments, your neighborhoods, uh, where you hang out. That by your words and by your deeds, you might make disciples. And we're expanding this concept of sending. It's a, it's a big deal for us. We'll be talking about this more. I'll talk about this more next week. Now, here's the actionable step for us as individuals. In addition to 15 minutes a day in the Bible, in addition to everybody being in the group, uh, what I long for for each and every one of us 
is that we will make a list of five to ten people, uh, people in your life, or people you want to be in your life, who may not be where you are spiritually, who may stand apart from Christ, that you want to see come to Christ, and you will pray for them, you will care for them, and you will share Christ with them. So five to ten people, prayer, care, share. And that is so easy to do, and it will be so profound in terms of how God will work. What it means for us as a a multi-campus church is we will continue to start new churches like we have today. We will continue to send people to the nations, groups to the nations, as we have done in the past. But it also means going forward, we are going to begin to emphasize sending you to wherever you are, to the marketplace where you spend the bulk of your life. Or if you're in retirement, to what you're doing in retirement. Or if you're a student, to your school, to the neighborhood, uh, uh, to, to your family, and on and on. So that each of us, individually and as groups, might develop, and this is just my language, flourishing projects. Where we're seeking the good of people around us, we're seeking to lift up Christ, both locally and globally. Could you imagine what would happen if every group in Wheaton Bible Church took on a flourishing project? Hey, this is what we're going to do as our part of reaching the world. And if God the Holy Spirit chooses to work, chooses to move among us, today is the beginning of a new day. Now that's the what. Now let me go on to this uh, more and more that we've added. Today we've added to our mission. Uh, Why have we done that? Well, we've added more and more because we want to clarify the who. We want to be clear that we are not here to sit and soak, that our our groups are are not a a cul-de-sac. We're not here to just watch missionaries sacrifice. And I'm amazed at the sacrifice among our missionaries. But we are here ourselves to sacrifice, to, to serve, and to seek the loss. And so we will never ever be content with everyone in our walls or everyone in our groups loving God, growing together, and reaching the world. Uh, we will always seek more and more people. And I can't wait to hear the stories of individuals and groups doing amazing things in the neighborhood around us. Can you imagine if we have small groups throughout our our surrounding neighborhoods? And and we hear stories of um, uh, this group taking on a flourishing project in the south side of Chicago. Or in west Chicago. Carroll Stream. Uh, You pick it. Or another group saying, you know what we're doing? Uh, We're all going to the Dominican Republic together. And they have such an incredible experience that over the years, they go every year as a group. And the relationships they develop and the, the ministry they have changes their lives. I can't wait to hear stories of our individuals and our groups that are going after this or going after that. Or they see two or three families come to Christ or people in the marketplace come uh, to Christ. The sky is the limit. 
But we must be clear. Our focus is on more and more people enjoying what we enjoy as followers of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we're just playing church. Let's be done with that in our groups today. More and more people. And a, a, another reason that we have added more and more is to deliver us from this uh, sometimes unintentional, unconscious move uh, where we reduce our faith to a private faith. A me and Jesus thing. And so we kind of have to hide from the world because the world is brutal. The world is rough and the world doesn't like Christians. But no, no, no. We don't have a private faith. We have a public faith. A public faith that can't be removed from our lives just like our skin can't be removed. So we wear our faith like we wear our skin. And we live a life of gratitude and joy because of what Christ has done. A life of compassion, a life of courage, a life of, uh, of boldness. Uh, this weekend, I heard a, a business leader in our church say, and he's a lawyer and he ought to know, it's in, he said, it's inaccurate to think that you cannot share Jesus Christ in the marketplace. And he went on and said, it depends on how you share it who you share it with, when you share it, where you share it, but it is fundamentally inaccurate to say, I can't share the gospel in the marketplace. We have a public faith. We serve a public savior who died a public death. And that's our mission. Now let's go on to this first value. So take out this brochure, this eight-page brochure, and open it up and, and turn to that right-facing page and the category at the top is gospel centrality. And you'll notice the um, repeatable culture building statements that we've identified for all 12 of these that are in bold. And it's the gospel isn't just the starting line, it's a whole race. You got that? You see that? The gospel isn't just the starting line, it's a whole race. Now let's say that together out loud. Join me. The gospel isn't just the starting line, it's a whole race. Now, what does that mean? Well, you see underneath this, uh, the gospel isn't just the ABCs of the Christian life, but the A to Z. Not only are we saved by believing the gospel, but we are transformed in every part of our lives by believing the gospel more and more deeply. We believe it is in looking away from ourselves, really hard to do, to the beauty, sufferings, and sufficiency of Christ that we overcome our idolatry, our bondage, and our sin. Now, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place for our sins, that he was raised from the dead. And if we believe, we find forgiveness, righteousness, and eternal life. Now, look at the verse in this insert. It's Titus 2, 11, and 12. And here Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now notice the first sentence. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. 
That's a reference to the gospel. The grace of God that has appeared is a reference to Jesus. The salvation is a reference to his work on the cross. So we can say this first sentence is a reference to the gospel. But look at the second sentence. Look at what comes next. Paul doesn't speak to non-Christians and say, okay, believe the gospel. He speaks to Christians. And he says the gospel is the key to your spiritual life. He says it's an understand, it's understanding that God turned his back on Christ so that he would never turn his back on you. It's understanding that Jesus experienced infinite, infinite sufferings to rescue you from your disordered loves, from yourself, uh, from your idolatry. It's understanding that that gives you the freedom to say no to the very desires that will destroy you and to live the self-controlled godly life that you long for. In other words, what Paul is saying is the gospel isn't just the starting line, it's the whole race, it's the whole life. Now others have talked at this point about balloons. I think balloons are a great illustration of this. We all love balloons. We use balloons at birthday parties or, or whatever, especially if we have kids. And over the years, I've blown up so many balloons. I don't even want to think about it. But you know, when you blow up balloons with your mouth using your own breath, uh, there's a, a functional problem with those balloons. And the problem is they don't stay in the air. So what do you have to do? You have to kick them up. You have to tap tap them up, you have to, you have to uh, push them up. But unless you are constantly doing that, the balloons don't stay in the air. But this is how many churches approach the spiritual life. So one week, uh, the pastor says, hey, hey, want to talk to you about generosity? Here's what the Bible says about generosity. And what does he do? He kicks the balloon up in the air. And for a period of time, people are more generous, but then the balloon settles down. A couple of weeks later, it's prayer, then it's evangelism, and the same thing. Uh, the balloon goes up, but the balloon settles back down. But if you fill that balloon with helium, it soars. As a matter of fact, as we all know, you have to tie that helium balloon down, or it's going to take off. This gospel-centered life that Paul is talking about in Titus is the helium that makes you soar. Really, Jesus, you did this for me? As somebody else has said, the fire to do comes from Christians who have been soaked in the fuel of what Christ has already done. The fire to do, the fire to change, the fire to reach the world, the fire to invest in community, the fire to love God comes from Christians who have been soaked in the fuel of what Jesus Christ has already done, the gospel. Another thing Paul is saying in that passage is that ultimately the key to our, our marriage difficulties or our friendship difficulties, our relational difficulties, or our anxiety or our fear, and I don't want to oversimplify uh, problems because problems are complex. Uh, 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 the problem with addictions and on and on is not you going on Amazon and finding two or three self-help books. 
or taking three or four steps here or there. Paul is saying the key is you believing the gospel more and more. It's living a gospel-centered life. And by the way, let me just say parenthetically, this has been a change for me over the years. It's part of the reason uh, that I no longer end most of my sermons with three things you need to do, although many of you would like three things to do. Some years ago, when my first wife, Carol, died, as she was dying and in the aftermath of her death, I found myself really struggling with what is the spiritual life all about? I found myself struggling with, okay, how do I continue to lead Wheaton Bible Church when I'm losing my wife? And and, and during that time, and in the aftermath of that, I read a couple of books that changed my life. One of them, and I highly recommend this, is Jerry's, Jerry Bridges' Transforming Grace. Paul Tripp's Broken Down Houses, later book, A Dangerous Calling for Those of Us in Ministry. And I realized in, in reading this book, these books, I should say, that along the way, I had become somewhat of a Christian moralist. That is, I thought the onus of the spiritual life was on me and what I need to do and and not do. I do this, I, I, I don't do this. But as I read and as I thought, I began to realize, and I, I'm in a lot of pain, that my focus was wrong. That the spiritual life, the key to the spiritual life isn't me doing more. The key is me believing more, basking more, reveling more in what Jesus Christ has already done. That's the fuel. And so what I want to say to you this morning is going forward, Wheaton Bible Church will continue to be a gospel-believing church, will continue to be a gospel-proclaiming church, but we are also going to be a gospel-centered church because the gospel is key not for the non-Christian but also for the Christian. It's not just the starting line, it's the whole race. And grab my more thorough um, document and I go into this in more detail. And it's also why this... Uh, is the first of the 12 values. And what it means is the key to loving God, the key to growing together, the key to reaching the world is the gospel. As a matter of fact, the gospel is the key to these next 11 values that we'll talk about over the next several weeks. Because the gospel alone produces the passion to sustain the mission. And I want you, I want each and every one of you to join us. 15 minutes a day, everyone in a group. Five to ten people that you give yourself to prayer, care, and share with. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at what you have done for us in your Son for the love you have shown us, for Jesus who is alive and right here among us. And we ask that you would work in our lives, that you would draw us to yourself, that God, that these seven weeks would be life-changing for us as a church. They would be life-giving for us as a church. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.